Thing. I'm Pastor Brian, one of the teaching pastors here. It's been a little while since I've been here. It's fun to be here and see so many of you again. Many of you, I know some of you are, are new to me. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you after the service. So we've been talking through the series called Anxious for Nothing because there's this place in Scripture. Philippians chapter 4 is the, is the anxiety chapter of the Bible. Some of you didn't know this. Rome, or first, first Corinthians 13 is the love chapter where it says love is patient, love is kind, all that stuff. I always do that, any, any weddings that I perform, I, I always use that passage, it's such a great passage, it's funny because sometimes people come up to me and say, that poem was wonderful, who wrote that, you know? Well, it's in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. But Philippians chapter 4, and if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn there, Philippians chapter 4 is the anxiety chapter because it turns out there's, like the whole chapter is all about anxiety. Verses 6 and 7, that's kind of how we kicked off this series. It says, be anxious for nothing. That's where we got the title to this series. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and petition, present your request to God. And then the God of peace, the peace that passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds until the day of Christ Jesus. And so that passage, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, some of you, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, if you use Kindle, I'm a big Kindle guy. Because um, I like simple, and I don't, I don't want to have to pack up a bunch of boxes next time I move. And so I love having it all on my Kindle. So I, I read everything on my Kindle, and the, the Bible is the most highlighted book on Kindle. The best-selling book of all time, by the way, is the Bible. And the, it's the most highlighted book on Kindle. And the most highlighted verse on the Bible on Kindle is Philippians 4, 6-7. It's not... John 3.16, it's not 1 Corinthians 13, it's be anxious for nothing. So to me, that's a crazy stat that, that people need to hear what God's word has to say about anxiety. And so in week one, we talked about the fact that you should be anxious for nothing. And what Paul was talking about there is the, the verb tense that he uses, he says, don't, don't have an anxious lifestyle. It's not, he's not saying that anxiety is a sin. I want to make sure you know that. Anxiety is not a sin. So many of you in here struggle with anxiety, and I don't want you to, I, we don't want you to feel like judged. We don't want you to feel like you're doing something wrong if you have anxiety. That's not the case, okay? And many, many people, especially our young people, many people take medication for anxiety. That's, we're not saying that any of that stuff is wrong. I, I just want to make sure everybody hears that. I don't want you to feel condemnation, or conviction if you struggle with anxiety. But what Paul is saying in Philippians 4 is, is you don't have to live in anxiety. You don't have to have this crippling, overwhelming anxiety that can control your life and your mind. That you can be free of that in Christ. And that's what we've been talking about through this series, is that you can have freedom. And again, I want to just say from a personal point of view, I never dealt with anxiety until three years ago. All of a sudden, I started having panic attacks, and I had no idea where it came from. And I, my daughter, my wife, they've, they have this, they understand a little bit more of the generalized anxiety. Some of you understand the generalized anxiety. I, this, I don't mean to be sexist here, but I, I think in my experience in 20 plus years of ministry, a lot of, a lot of women understand general anxiety, and I've been meeting a lot of men who understand panic anxiety. And here's, I'll just speak for myself at least, here's where I think that comes from, is my wife was honest about it since she was young. 
And so she's kind of dealt with anxiety and admitted it, and I think I stuffed it. That's the anxiety cycle. You feel anxious, and you stuff it. That's what I did. And I know a lot of guys my age, a little bit younger, a little bit older, a lot of guys who have stuffed their anxiety, and that works for, well, for me, it worked for four decades, and then all of a sudden it didn't work anymore. And three years ago, I woke up in a hotel room in Dallas, like, in two, two o'clock in the morning, absolutely in a panic, and I didn't know what to do with it. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about what I learned about that today because it turns out that, the, that Scripture has something to say about it. But if you're here today and, and maybe you've been coming throughout this series or maybe, maybe you're just here for the first time today so you can catch up on where we've been the last two weeks when we've been talking about Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 and, and that we can, we can experience this peace that comes from God if we would learn how to replace anxiety with prayer and going to God for it instead of stuffing it. Last week, we talked about the fact that anxiety is especially terrible for control freaks. Some of you don't realize you're a control freak. I didn't realize I was a control freak, and that's where a lot of my, my panic anxiety was coming from, is I felt like I, I, over time, I realized I'd been trying to control everything, and when I realized I couldn't control everything, and by the way, that includes your breathing, your breath, that includes your life. Men, when you realize, women too, but men, when you realize that you're not going to live forever, that's when sometimes panic anxiety can hit you. When you realize that you don't have control over your income forever, that's when panic anxiety can hit you. If you haven't listened to the podcast for this series, I encourage you to do that. Um, go to Pursue God Podcast online, and we've been talking with a couple of men, and they've been sharing their experiences around this. Again, not that men are the only ones who need to hear this. I just think women tend to typically deal with it already, and a lot of times men are stuffing it. So men, you're not alone if that's where you are. So today we're going to talk about when your thoughts run wild. Because this is something that I realized is, is that anxiety is related to this word that maybe you've never heard before, but I wanna, you're going to hear it a lot today. The, this word is rumination. Anxiety is related to this thing called rumination. So, so the, the, definitionary dec, the dictionary definition of rumination is it's a deeper considered thought about something. So, so I would lay there, I would lay there and ruminate. I would have this deep and considered thought, and it wasn't a good thing. Actually, the second definition from the dictionary is my favorite. It's the action of chewing the cud. <laughs> so if you, if you think about it, if you visualize a, a cow chewing its cud, a cow chew, chews its cud, you know, it's, that just means it's like when it's like sitting there chewing something, like it's chewing gum or something, that's called rumination. A cow chews its cud eight hours a day. Eight hours a day a, a cow chews its cud. And by the way, the cud, you're gonna learn a lot about biology today. But the cud is literally, the cow eats, it eats its food and then it goes into its stomach, the first compartment of its stomach. It goes into the second compartment of its stomach and that's when it, it says, this isn't chewed enough. And so it regurgitates it up into the cow's mouth. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and the cow chews it more and sends it back down. And it chews for eight hours a day. That's 30,000 chews a day 
that a dairy cow does ruminating. And the reason I wanted to give you that gross visual is because that's what some of us do with our thoughts. Is we, and really, we can't digest it. And so we, we just, it goes right back up into our head and we just keep chewing on it. Chewing on it. And we just keep ruminating on that thought. And a lot of times it's a gross thought. And so here's the big idea for today. Is that rumination is when your mind chews on something over and over. And it's a classic symptom of anxiety. So I want you to just think about that in your life. What is it that you, wa- you stay awake at night chewing on? Some of you have never even asked that question. Some of you know exactly what it is because you're more self-aware than I was. I was not self-aware. I, I had never thought about my thoughts before. And a lot of you men have never thought about your thoughts. And maybe you're sitting here listening today and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, panic attacks. Come on, get over it, you wimp. And all, all, I, say to, all I will say to you is just get ready. Because that's what I would have said five years ago. I did not relate at all when my daughter talked about anxiety. I didn't understand her. When my wife talked about anxiety, I didn't understand her because I was untouched by it. Well, little did I know I had been stuffing and stuffing and stuffing and stuffing. And at some point, my body couldn't handle it anymore. And a lot of it was related to rumination. A lot of it was related to the stuff that I would play over in my head, kind of like on maybe you're listening on Spotify or something and you you put a song on repeat. You just love this song and you just put it on repeat. Well, that's what rumination is. It's a thought that you put on repeat. Consciously or not, it's a thought that you put on repeat in your head. And that could be a good thought, but usually, usually it's a bad thought. And you don't even realize it. So I want you to, I'm gonna invite you today to think about your thoughts. And here's the coolest thing about it. I told you that Philippians 4 is the anxiety chapter. So now with all that background, let's take a look at our theme verse for today. We've looked at verses 6 and 7, and today we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And here's what Paul says. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I think it's so cool that God's word talks about real stuff that we deal with. And in the anxiety chapter, remember the context for this is don't be anxious about anything. Be anxious for nothing. And a couple verses later, he's talking about rumination. How in the world does God understand this? This was written 2,000 years ago. How in the world could he understand how this works? Two things. Number one, God made us so he knows how we think. And we haven't changed in 2,000 years. And number two, Paul was a control freak. Paul ruminated. Paul understood anxiety. And so God is inspiring Paul to write these words. The apostle Paul who wrote the the book of Philippians, this letter to the church in Philippi. And the reason Philippians 4 is the anxiety chapter is because he's writing this from prison. And Paul understood anxiety. And he understood the secret to overcoming it. So we're going to break down this passage. 
But before we do, we just have to talk just a little bit more about biology because it turns out that anxiety is an emotion caused by the brain's reaction to situations. It's not caused by the situations themselves. Now, we just got really deep right there, and I just want, I want to make sure you understand I am not a doctor, but I did sleep at a Holiday Inn Express last night, <laughs> for those of you who remember that commercial. So here's how the brain works. Here's how the brain works. I, I'm going to give you just a quick little summary of how the brain works. There's, there's a part of the brain called the cortex. There's a part of the brain called the amygdala. The cortex is kind of the reasoning part of your brain. The cortex is, if you look at the, if, I, I believe it's the front part of your brain. It's the reasoning part of your brain. So if you're having cortex-based anxiety, cortex-based anxiety, that's the anxiety that where you see your, you see, like I, I remember my, my daughter, we were at a swimming pool. She was four or five years old, and I'm sitting there chatting with my buddy, and I see it was one of those sloped swimming pools. You know, she was in the shallow end, and she didn't, I'm, I'm over there talking with my buddy on kid duty. This would have never happened if my wife was paying attention to this. But, but Kenzie, Kenzie didn't realize there was a slope to that, and she's kind of just playing over there, just hanging around in the pool. And little did she, you know, she didn't realize that it was kind of sloping down. And she, so she's like, it's sloping down further and further, and now she's getting just a little bit further down, and, you know, little Kenzie at the time, she, and she's like jumping up for air, and, and then she would go just a little bit further down, and she'd hit the, she'd hit the, and she's jumping up for air, and I'm over here talking about oil changes with my buddy, and I finally turn and see my daughter, like, getting Far, further and further down, and I could see the look in her eyes, and I could see it on her face, and so that's cortex-based anxiety for me and for her. Her cortex was saying, something bad is happening right now, and when I finally clued in, I said, something bad is happening right now, and so what happens is now that, that whatever that is, that neural activity in my brain shoots that from my cortex to the amygdala, and the amygdala is the thing that says, you need to do something right now. It's that fight or flight response that comes from the amygdala. And so I jump into action, and I go over there, and I save the day, and I didn't tell my wife anything about it. Because <laughs> again, I have a cortex. So the cortex is the thinking part of your brain, and this is how God designed the brain to work. It's actually a good thing. Fear, anxiety is a good thing. Like, it's a, it's a natural thing. It's what God, it's how God made the brain to work. It's, it's a beautiful thing when it works right. So there's a, part, there's a part of that that's good. The problem is, there's another kind of anxiety that is amygdala-based, and it shortcuts the cortex altogether. It, it, it doesn't involve the cortex, and all of a sudden, you're in a, hotel room at 2 in the morning in Dallas, and you're having panic attacks, and, you, and there's no reason for you to have a panic attack. It skips over the thinking part of the brain, and it goes straight to the feeling, the fight or flight part of the brain, the amygdala-based anxiety, and this is exactly what was happening with me with a panic attack. Author Catherine, authors Catherine Pittman and Elizabeth Carl, they say it like this, basically... A panic attack is your body 
launching into the fight, flight, or freeze response at an inappropriate time due to an overreaction by the amygdala, often in response to some sort of trigger that poses no real danger. So right, the cortex-based anxiety, there was a real danger. It was important for me to jump into action and run and save my daughter. But laying in, the, in that hotel room in Dallas at 2 in the morning, there, nothing had changed. There wasn't a fire. There wasn't a hurricane. It was just I woke up, and for some reason, my amygdala was firing and saying, something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong, and, and nothing was wrong. And this for me, this is why for me, my anxiety, my panic attacks were based in, in large part, it was based in like claustrophobia. Claustrophobia is, doesn't even make sense for me to be, feel claustrophobic, sitting on a plane to feel claustrophobic. But that's what's happening. It's that amygdala is firing. There's no real danger, but my, my brain is telling me there's a danger. And then anxiety is triggered in my life. So again, the point is anxiety and this is really helpful, this was helpful when I realized this, is anxiety is an emotion caused by the brain's reaction to situation. It caused, it's caused by the brain's reaction. It's actually not caused by the situation itself, especially panic anxiety. So for me, as I started to under, understand this, this was, this was a revelation for me to realize that what was going on in my brain and how it was causing me to feel anxious. And it's a, I think it's important for all of us to understand this. And, and here's where I, what I'm getting to. This is why I kind of set us up with Philippians 4, verse 8. Long before science understood the brain, the Bible offered a solution. And it's to redirect your thoughts. So now that we understand how the brain works and how God designed the brain to work, let's look again at what God told us through Paul in Philippians 4, verse 8, of how to handle it. So again, he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So what he's, what he's doing here is he's, he's teaching us how to, in another place, in, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about capturing your thoughts. Because what was happening to me is my little did I know that I was ruminating on stuff, and not just that night, but for decades. I was ruminating on stuff in my head. Some of it was conscious. Some of it was subconscious. But there were things going on in my mind that I would lay up at night thinking about, during the day thinking about. There was stuff that was just, there, were, there, was like this, there was like this song on repeat in my mind. And I want you to think about the songs that are on repeat in your mind, the tracks that run over and over and over again. And some of you know what they are. Maybe it's related to some insecurity you have. Maybe it's related to finances. Maybe it's related to your health or your mortality. Whatever that is, is there are, these, there are these tracks that go on, and again, I want to invite you to think about your thoughts because it's so valuable, and this was so helpful for me when I was able to face these things, to put those thoughts on the table and to say, what, what is that? What's that about? 
That thought that I keep having over and over and over again, that insecurity, that, that thing that's creating fear, that fear response in me, the claustrophobia, what, what is that about? And that's what I want to invite you to do. This is, I think, what Paul is inviting us to do. Again, I think the reason is because he understood this because I think he went through this himself. We talked last week about this thorn in the flesh. He said, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. He calls it a messenger from Satan. Now, we don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. Some people thought, think that maybe it was his eyesight that was going bad. He was going blind. Some people think maybe it was some other, some other physical ailment that he had. Whatever it was, whatever it was, I'm convinced of this. It created anxiety in him. I would even say it created panic in him, and that's where I can relate to it. Because he said in that passage, if you were here last week, he said, three times I begged the Lord to take it from me. That's anxiety. Whatever is the root of it, claustrophobia, poor eyesight, whatever the root was, the result was he was panicky and he begged the Lord. I remember when I got home from Dallas and it took a couple of drinks to get home. I'll just be honest with you, like to get on that plane. I got home from Dallas, and I remember begging the Lord to take that. I was like, whatever this is, God, I can't handle this. Whatever this is, I can't handle this. And I begged the Lord to take it from me. And that's what Paul says. This thorn in the flesh, he begged the Lord to take it from him. But God said, nope, I'm not going to take it from you. My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So it turns out anxiety for him was a, was a blessing. It was a gift because it taught him. It taught him the stuff that we're learning here in Philippians chapter 4. So what I want to do is I want to just real quick, I want to break down what he's saying in this passage. Because when I look at this, these words, he's, he talks about what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. I break it down into three categories. And I want you to really consider these, as we think about our thoughts, I want you to think about these three categories. First of all, he says, I want you to think about what is true. So true refers simply to the factual thoughts rather than the false narratives that perpetuate the anxiety cycle. So when he says, think about what's true, is he saying, there are things that sometimes you can put on repeat in your head that are just straight up false. And you need to just call them that. You need to say, that is false. I do not believe that. And you need to reject some of those things. Now, we don't have time to get into all of those things that, that we could get in our head. But for me, one of the things that was really helpful as I was experiencing my panic attacks is I, was, I would read, and, and I remember reading in one book, it said, nobody ever died from a panic attack. And that was really helpful for me. I had to read that a few times because I didn't believe it. Because <laughs> it felt, when I would have my panic attacks, guys, it felt, if you've experienced this, you probably know, but it felt like I was going to die. I've got some friends who their panic attacks feel like, like heart attacks to them, and they literally feel like they're going to die. They think they're having a heart attack. And I want you to hear this. This is an example. Nobody has ever died from a panic attack. It's your brain fooling you into thinking you're going to die but you're not gonna. For me, that was so helpful just to hang on to that truth, to say, okay, good. Next time I'm sitting there in a plane and, so, and, and more and more people come on the plane and I start getting panicky because remember, I'm a little claustrophobic, I can say, it's okay. It's okay, nobody ever died from claustrophobia. 
I even thought about locking myself in a closet for a little bit to really train myself, but I decided not to. All right, so that's the first thing. It says, true, you have to think about what's true. So identify the false narratives that sometimes your, your mind plays on you. That's the first thing. Number two, he says this. Though I'm going to bunch these next three. He says, think about what's honorable, right, and pure. Now, when he's talking about this, he, he's referring to the things that honor God. So he's talking about avoiding the sinful lifestyle that's hidden from you. And this is, I just want to, I think it's important as we've been going through this series, and I even said it this morning, anxiety is not a sin, and it's not. We don't want you to feel condemnation for feeling anxious, but I need to make this comment if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, that there is a kind of anxiety that comes from your sinfulness. There is a, for a Christian, there's a kind of anxiety that comes from hiding your sin. The Bible says your sin will find you out. Well, that's kind of scary. That's good anxiety. Young people, old people, people in between. I want you to hear this. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have secret sin in your life, I bet you have anxiety over it. And so you need to confess it. Not right now, we won't, Tracy's not in here, he's not gonna make you come up here on stage. <laughs> but you should confess that, like you should, you should put that out on the table. Uh, young people in particular, there might be some things in your life that you're, that you're, that you're allowing into your life that you know, you know in, your in your conscience, you know it's not right, but you haven't shared it with anybody, nobody knows about it. I just want you to know, like, anxiety that comes from that is helpful for you because my prayer is that it will help you to put that on the table to confess it and get, get, it, get right with God. Now, here's the good news is Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, one of the false narratives that the enemy f feeds us is if you, if you tell somebody about it, then they're going to reject you. Your parents are going to hate you for it. They're going to reject you for it, whatever. That's just false. When you, when you confess that sin, the Bible, Scripture says that he is faithful and just to forgive us your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So you don't have to live in this fear that coming clean with something like that's going to destroy your marriage or, or, or make your parents kick you out of your home or whatever else. Like hopefully if you have godly parents or a godly spouse, they'll say, okay, let's deal with this now. Let's, let's deal with this. And there's forgiveness there. There is from God. And there's, there, there probably will also be from the people in your life as well. But one thing is for sure is burying that and continuing in that sin cycle is just going to make you more and more anxious. And so, the, so Paul says, fix your thoughts on what is honorable, right, and pure. That's the second category. And then there's a third category. Oh, wait, i got to show you this scripture. This is, I think, what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 139. He says, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. So look, the psalmist is talking about his anxious, this is a prayer, Psalm 139 is a prayer. The psalmist is saying, I feel anxious. I feel anxious, but look at why. He says next, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Apparently, the psalmist had anxious thoughts connected to sin in his life and he's confessing it to God. This is a great prayer if you feel like you're in this place. Write this one down, Psalm 139. Pray it to God. 
really pray it to God and then let God expose that stuff in your life, that, that stuff that's creating that anxiety. And then there's a third category, back to Philippians 4, there's a third category where he says there, think about what's lovely and admirable. So, so lovely, the Greek word is prosphile, and admirable, the Greek word is euphema. Those are, that's the only place in all of Scripture that uses those two words, lovely and admirable. And what they're talking about is were thoughts that build up rather than tear down. Lovely and admirable means, he says, he's, it's basically saying, I want you to think about constructive stuff, not destructive stuff. See, because there are some thoughts, if you think about what's true, there are some true things. There are things that you could think about that are true, but they're still not constructive. There are, there are things that you can think about that are, uh, how does he say it, honorable, right, and pure, that are, that are godly, they're not sinful, but they're still not constructive. So this third category is talking about, like, really think about your thoughts and say, is that thought helpful? Is that thought helpful? Like, you could lay up in bed all night and say, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. That's true. That's true, but it's not helpful. And this is what Paul's saying. It reminds me of the passage in Ephesians 4.29. Now, we use this in, in, in our marriage training all the time, but he's talking here about, he's talking here about relationships and communication, but I, I, I just kind of tweaked it a little bit because I think we could apply this to our thought life as well. See, what he's saying here is let everything you say be good and helpful, and that, by, by the way, that's a great rule. Let everything you say be good and helpful. You could say, husbands, you could say something to your wife that's true, but it's not helpful, so shut your mouth, Okay? And that's really what we talk about. But what I'm doing right here is I want to apply it to your thoughts. So I'm going to, I want to, let's, he, I'm going to just use the word think instead of say. He says, let everything you think be good and helpful. Prosphile, euphema. Let everything you think be good and helpful so that your thoughts will be an encouragement to those who think them. Now, when we apply this to words, what you're saying is an encouragement to someone else. When you apply it to thoughts, what you're thinking is an encouragement to you. So basically what it's saying is don't ruminate on stuff that destroys you. Don't ruminate on stuff that is destructive for you, even if it's true. Don't let it get on repeat if it's just not helpful. So identify your thoughts that are just not helpful and say, I'm just not going to think that anymore. I'm going to die someday. That's actually true. Is it helpful? It's probably not helpful for you to ruminate on that. So that's what Paul's saying. Think about your thoughts and fix your thoughts on the better stuff. Fix your, it's, I call it godly rumination instead of worldly rumination. Like, you can use this, this thing, this thing that our brains do, to, you can use that for your benefit, instead of letting the enemy use it to drive you crazy with anxiety. And here's, here's, where, here's where Paul lands on this, whole, on this whole section. It's when you win the battle in your mind, then you can win it in your everyday life. And this is what happened for me. So when I started having these panic attacks and literally wanted to die, and I've never been a guy who would say that, literally wanted to die, it was so hard for me, so painful for me. 
I, I started doing the work. I started thinking about my thoughts. I started putting them on the table and really evaluating them. That's where I started to have victory over this thing. And so I, I learned over time. It took me months, probably six, seven months. But I didn't stuff it anymore. I, I dealt with it. I thought about my thoughts. And when you win the battle in your mind, and this is what happened for me, then you can win it in your everyday life. Then it can change your, your, your experience in your everyday life. And this is what he says in verse 9. So in verse 8, he talks about fixing your thoughts on all those things we just looked at. But here's the, here's the payoff, okay? Here's the payoff. He says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. So he was just talking about his thought life. And now he's talking about his everyday life. And I really think Paul is saying, I learned to do all of this, and then it, it impacted how I lived. And you've seen how I lived. And so, so keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. And then he says this, and this should remind us of what he said in verses six and seven from week one. He says, and then the God of peace will be with you. Because remember, the opposite of anxiety is peace. This peace that passes understanding that we can't even fully understand. I don't know why today I have this peace. I don't know. I don't, I've, I don't fully understand it, but I know it's from God. And it's, it's from the God who made our brains and knows how they work and knows the secret to overcoming anxiety for us. And so I just encourage you, if you're, if you're here today and you ruminate and your mind runs wild and you put that thing on repeat and it's not helpful, I just want you to know you can be anxious for nothing. You can, you can learn this secret just like Paul did, just like I did. And you will have that peace from God that passes all understanding. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to put into practice what we're, what we're learning today and what we learned last week and the week before. And God, I pray for the people who are here today. I know there are some people in this room right now that are actively fighting anxiety. And that's hard. Man, that's such a hard place to be. But I, I pray today that they would hear your words and they would take encouragement to know that, that you are a God who understands how we work and that you have the answer for all of us. And so I pray for that person right now who just needs that peace. God, I pray that you would give them that peace that passes understanding. God, I pray, I pray for the person who is ruminating and chewing on that thing over and over and over and it's, and it's driving them crazy. God, I pray that through Jesus Christ, they would begin to experience victory. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.